At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the HVAC Know It All podcast. We have another awesome episode for you guys. We have Blue On there on the podcast. Now, Blue On has kind of come out of nowhere with their TDX20 R458A R22 replacement refrigerant. Now, we got a tech from Blue On, and we have an engineer on. We have Jed Kennedy. He's the engineer. We have Nate Fasine. He's the tech that goes around and helps out in the field gets on the roof with you guys and whatnot we're going to talk to both of them and we're going to find out what blue on's all about why it was created the advantages it has over other r22 replacements out in the field and of course the fact that they have 24 7 tech support and the fact to have they have an awesome app with over 20,000 units on there with manuals conversion instructions so on and so forth so it's going to be a good one guys Let's get going. This is the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Jed, Nate, in that order, how you guys doing tonight? Pretty good, Gary. How about yourself? I'm doing well, and I'm, I'm glad to have you guys on. Um, it's, been, it's been a long time coming, and we're going to get some things cleared up and, and get to know Blue on a little bit better. Nate, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, man. Thanks for asking. Awesome. So, Jed, you're in, what, you in Cali right now? Uh, that's correct. And, Nate, you're in Florida. Yes, sir. And I'm in Toronto. So, it's kind of like a, we, we got this triangle thing going. We're, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, maybe we should start off just by introducing your guy. You guys introduce yourselves quickly just to go over what you do at, at Blue On, kind of your roles and what you guys are doing for the company. Jed, go ahead for you go first. Sure. Uh, so again, Jed Kennedy, I'm the director of technical services for Blue On. Uh, my primary role is to manage our in-house technicians like Nathan and, and uh, several other guys that go out and do conversions in the field with contractors, uh, work with them hand in hand, uh, train them, um, just do whatever we can to support guys that are in the field doing the actual work. Um, and, and that does a couple of things for us. Um, as I said, it helps us uh, train them and get them to f- be familiar with the product. And two, it helps us continue our education uh, in real world scenarios. Um, so that's kind of my, my, you know, day job. And then uh, a lot of other things um, as well. Uh, I do participate in the R and D of new, new refrigerants and uh, help do uh, a lot of the development on the app side, uh, which I hope guys are taking advantage of and fully enjoying. Um, and I think that uh, mostly summarizes it. Cool. Nate, Nate, you're, uh, you're out in the front lines, just like me. So, uh, like, what do you get into? You get out there and do like conversions and work with customers and stuff like that on site, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I go out, um, I do group trainings with, uh, big contractors. Um, I also get out and do the conversions, um, get up on the roofs with you guys. Um, and, and I also work on the back end of the app as well. Um, Oh, cool. Yeah, entering the uh, doing the research on the database side, um, 
for all the units that we've got in there. Nice. Um, yeah, do do quite a bit actually. We all, everybody at Blue Army, kind of wear different hats and help each other out in different different walks of of the of the company. But yeah, mostly getting out in front of in front of the techs is, is what I do. Yeah. So I mean, you guys are you guys are a, a true team then because you kind of all help each other out in different facets within the company, which is cool. So we need to kind of break this down. So what, what is blue on and why did blue on kind of come about? Because up until about last year around this time, I believe, um, I didn't know what blue on was. So what, what is blue on? Sure. Yeah. I'll jump into kind of the history there. Um, So blue on was founded with this whole purpose of, of making, a, refriger- a replacement refrigerant that was, you know, not worse than R22 and actually improved the system performance uh, over R22. Um, so that was the founding mission of Blue On. Um, that happened back in 2011. By that time, there were already replacement refrigerants on the market. You know, Pour 7 was around, uh, I believe, MO99 and a new 22. Um, and they just, they did, didn't stand up to the R22. You know, they didn't uh, fill the R22 shoes. Uh, so we were founded to kind of step up and, and try to be a better performing refrigerant. Um, and with that, uh, started many years of R&D research and development. And what we found along the way, um, you know, the short story of it is that um, a lot of the refrigerant development up to that point um, relied very heavily on NIST reef prop. Um, so this is a software um, uh, developed by the National Institute of Technologies and Standards. And uh, it's what models your refrigerant, you know, PT chart and saturation tables and all that good stuff. Um, the problem that we found with it is that um, it did do a really good job of, you know, predicting the performance of the refrigerant in a real world system once you started uh, mixing a bunch of things together. So it was great for something single constituent like R22 or, you know, R12 or, you know, those single constituent refrigerants. But once you start mixing three, four, five things together, um, the model starts becoming a little bit less reliable. Um, and so with that information, we started making, uh, one, we started really amping up our empirical testing, you know, testing the refrigerant in systems. And, uh, you know, we were surprised in, you know, some ways um, by seeing slight changes had positive improvements uh, where we didn't expect it or negative improvements where we didn't expect it. So we really honed in on making um, empirical changes and using what we learned from actually running the systems uh, to really dial in uh, the formula of VDX20. So that's kind of the uh, this long short story of, of where how Blue One was founded and uh, how VDX20 came about. Um, and then that brings us into 2015, 2016 when we finally had the product dialed into where we want it. Then we had to start the regulation process, which was ASHRAE approval, EPA approval, um, which is pretty, a very long process um, and, and could be a whole different story in and of itself. And, and I guess we'll stop there. I mean, does that answer you the question on the product side? I mean, there's yeah. more to be said about who we are as a company as far yeah. as yeah. what we've done up to that point, but let's, let's kind of take a pause there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, I just wanted to get kind of kind of the background of, of Blue On and kind of how it, it all came about. So TDX20, just so everybody knows, that's the ASHRAE designation of R458A, correct? Yeah, yeah, the other way. So TDX20 is the brand name 
R four five eight A is the ASHRAE designation. That's, yeah, that, that's that's yep. right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, now some pointers on your website that we can kind of go through is, um, and then Nate, I'm sure that you've seen this out in the field is that the average savings compared to R twenty two is fifteen percent savings. Do you want to explain? kind of how you, you come to that number. And I, I see here that it's up to 25% as well. Yeah, yeah. So running at lower pressures, um, we're able to bring down the amp draw. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, just right there with the lower amp draws, we're typically seeing, uh, like you said, 15% on average, up to 25% on some of the larger systems with a little bit of extra fine tuning, um, adding EVs and different things um, where warranted. Um, make make this a, a great energy savings uh, retrofit option for customers. We've got a lot of customers out there who are using us uh, strictly for the energy savings alone. Mm -hmm. a perfectly good unit, not even needing any work done to it. They're pulling out R22 um, to get the R22 footprint off of their portfolio and then also uh, you know, to go a little more green. Yeah. So, me, me, I'm, I'm going to stop there with, with these pointers and just ask you guys a question and whoever wants to answer can jump in. Now there's, I, I've seen like in the videos that you guys um, have and some, some online data from your website and stuff, the R22 kind of the, uh, the amount of R22 that's currently in the U S and how it's going to deplete over time. Like how did we come up with, with the, um, the prediction of how much R22 is going to be left over the next 10 years? So I believe those numbers are taken uh, straight from the EPA's website or an okay. EPA study. Um, okay. I don't have that particular reference in front of me, but off the top of my head, um, I believe that was a EPA study um, that we were referencing. And I'm sure I could find the, the reference and pass it along. So yeah, so that's that's one of also the reasons why TDX twenty was developed is to is to help along with the gradual depletion of R twenty two that's going to be left over. Now there there's I mean I've seen some people online saying that R twenty two is going to be around for the rest of our lifetime, um, but I don't know how they're making these predictions. <laughs> if if I just think about it in this this way, I went to a supplier about three or four months ago to get. Uh, 90 pounds three jugs of r22 and the guy's like well i gotta go see if i have that so basically he didn't even know if he had it mm -hmm. r22 at all so when i hear that he's got to go search around a massive warehouse a refrigeration wholesaler warehouse to find three jugs of r22 that tells me something is in the works right well yeah, right. so you're gonna have you know different suppliers are gonna have stockpiled or they had um you know, they, they foresaw the shortage coming, so they, they stockpiled stuff where other guys, you know, smaller suppliers may not have gone that route. So it's harder for them mm -hmm. to get a hold of anything because now obviously with 2020, uh, no more being imported or produced in, you know, North America. So mm -hmm. now there, there is, um, there is like a, a small exception here in Canada that when you go to the government website, you read that there's a 90, 95% reduction of R22 in 2020, but that last 5% doesn't uh, get removed until 2030. Are you guys aware mm -hmm. of that? I was not aware of that, no. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just weird. I, I don't know where that 5% comes in. Like, I don't know if they're allowing 5% of that entire number to be shipped 
or produced or to, to be brought into Canada. I'm not really sure on, on how that works, but if you go on to um, the Canadian government's website and you look at that, you, you see that number there. Hmm. Well, I mean, if, if I were just to take a guess of it, I mean, it, it would kind of make sense to have a small contingency there because there's a lot of things that there's not a really good solution for, you know, like centrifugal chillers. Um, you know, I think that's mainly it, but you know, some of these highly, you know, um, specialized applications and applications where you need a lot, a lot of refrigerant and for industrial processes that, you know, you can't afford to have the system down. Mm -hmm. It would make sense to have a, you know, some R22 still coming in to help service those systems because, um, I mean, I, I think we would probably all acknowledge the fact that, uh, the recovery process being implemented in the field is, is probably not, you know, as good as the EPA or, you know, some of the agencies might like it to be. Um, you know, there's probably a lot of it being contaminated um, or, or in, you know, unintentionally, intentionally released, you know, you name it. But, uh, you know, essentially the EPA overestimated how much R22 is being recovered and able to be reused, which is eventually going to, you know, kind of, fight everybody in the in the rear end well i mean there are if there are units that leak right. constantly all the time there's actually technicians out there that still use well they joke they say the big recovery machine in the sky right <laughs> they yeah. just they just they just blow it off without actually recovering it and sending it back to a place where they're going to reclaim the gas mm -hmm. so there, there's there's those two things as well um, but going back to TDX 20 now, it's got five different properties in it, correct? Yeah. So, um, it's the five constituents are, you know, kind of the three big ones, which are predominant in, um, almost all the replacements, um, you know, like such as 407C and M199, which is, um, R32, which is kind of your workhorse, R125, which is basically a flame suppressant for R32, um, and R134, which is kind of just a um, medium refrigerant. You know, there's nothing that special about it. it it's, uh, you know, not a high operating pressure. You don't get a lot of capacity out of it. You don't get a lot of, uh, you don't get a lot of much out of it. It's kind of a placeholder. Um, and then we also have R227, which also helps, um, it's a, another flame suppressant that does two things for us. Uh, actually, it does three things. Um, it helps put less 125 in there, which is from a capacity standpoint and from a, you know, reform standpoint is just a, a bad refrigerant. It's high pressure, low latent heat uh, capacity and, and just not the best refrigerant, but it's a good flame retardant. Where, where with R227, we can get the, you know, the same or a little bit better flame suppression out of it meaning we can put a little more 32 in there to get the capacity um, out of the, uh, the blend. Um, and it also, um, it, in general, what we found in our empirical evidence is that once you start kind of staggering the boiling points is how we call it, to where instead of just having something like 410, which is essentially no glide, um, if we started stacking the boiling points in the coil, we saw a, uh, improvement more than what we anticipated or expected. Um, and so 227 kind of gives us that benefit of a, a late boiler that um, has a phase change towards the end of the coil. And, and I, I, I found that sometimes people think that we're playing with the superheat, but if you understand the dew temperature, we're not, you're still having the same super, uh, superheat. It's just you're delaying 
uh, the phase change of that refrigerant until later in the coil when, you know, most of your good refrigerants have boiled off, you know, your 32 and your 125, you know, the 125 is good, but you wait till all those have boiled out off and then you still have some liquid left to do some phase change before you hit that, that dew point or that, you know, that zero degree superheat point. So that's, you know, one of the things that 227 also adds. And then lastly, there's R226 um, FA, which is not a common refrigerant, but there's a very small amount of it in there, um, you know, about half a percent. And again, it's just a late boiler that gives us a little bit of oomph at the end of the coil. And it also is a low pressure refrigerant that helps us drop our pressures a little bit lower. Um, as Nate said, running those lower operating pressures um, does reduce the amp draw um, and helps us get that power consumption reduction um, while still maintaining capacity. You also have a proprietary lubricant in there, right? Is that, am I saying that right? That's correct. Yep. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's a small, uh, again, small percentage, less than 2% um, proprietary additive to the refrigerant. And so I'm sure as uh, most everybody knows that HFC refrigerants, hydrofluorocarbons, are naturally not good with mineral oil. Um, they, you know, basically repulse each other. That's why 407C, which is just three constituents mixed together, there's no additives or anything. Um, that's why I have to go to POE with mineral uh, with uh, 407C. Okay. Whereas MO99 and you know many of the others, they use a hydrocarbon, so like butane, propane, um, which are uh, somewhat um, miscible with mineral oil, but there's two thing, two problems with adding using hydrocarbons for mineral oil carry. Uh, one, um, all hydrocarbons, um, you know, all the hydrocarbon common hydrocarbons are flammable, so you have to add those 125 refrigerants, which, as I said, are not good refrigerants. So you have to sacrifice um, some performance to compensate for the hydrocarbon flammability. Um, and two, hydrocarbons are high pressure refrigerants, so uh, you don't get the lower pressures that you would with TDX20, um, which was, you know, decrease your amp draw. Whereas if you have to add the hydrocarbons, you're naturally going to want to run a little bit higher operating pressures. Um, so that's why we didn't go that route. So instead, we, we uh, spent a lot of time and effort to find a way to kind of bridge the gap between the mineral oil and the HFC. And the additive is, is fully miscible with the HFC and with the mineral oil. So it you know, like I said, bridges the gap between the two and helps carry the mineral oil um, through the system uh, with the HFC. Nice, nice. So, so Nate, for you, speaking, uh, this is a good segue into no oil changes. That must be nice going out into the field and not having to yeah. do an oil change for, for the refrigerant, right? Yeah, I mean, oil changes are very time consuming. And let's face it, are you ever going to get all the oil out with no? Um, your best chance to do that would be to drill holes in the evaporator, blow it out with nitrogen, and then even then, you're still not going to guarantee that you're getting everything out. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, POE's pretty expensive as well. So, yeah, there's that. Um, but, yeah, definitely the just the time it takes to go through an oil change and, and the whole process is, you know, not having to do that is, is great. Yeah, and, and POE's the – because it's hygroscopic, I mean, you really got to – be careful with it and make sure that it's not exposed to the atmosphere too long and pull a really, really deep vacuum. Yeah. And like, it's, it's almost like a, almost like a detergent. It goes around and cleans up the system. Mm -hmm. And if you have any, 
gunk in there or some people that they they, they don't nitrogen braise if they haven't done that mm-hmm. um, which i've seen in the past and just and it can coat um, the inside of a condenser coil or something like that or get clogged in a dryer i've seen some big big huge uh, train units out at a mall um, over time basically the the condensers they were clear and clean but they ran so hot in the summer because these things were just on the inside were coated so full of of uh fouled up oil and and probably carbon from the from all the repairs and stuff that had been been done on them right um mm. and, and that's that's something we got to be careful with with poe right well yeah then back in the day i mean Good point of nobody yeah. ever really was brazing with nitrogen um it wasn't yeah. a common practice and now that we know you know the the side effects from it you would think people are going to be more apt to use it but you, you still see them it just i don't want to get the nitrogen take off the truck and you know so they're still doing it. Mm-hmm. and so yeah that, that's definitely adding that poe can cause big headaches if you don't uh, use proper brazing techniques we so i posted um some of these pointers on um, my social media feeds last week and 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 there was discussion around them, but the one that confused some people and was the most discussed was the vibration and stability issue. And for me, I just kind of tried to use common sense of being in the, the trade for a while. I mean, less pressure to me is less less work on the compressor, which should reduce vibration. Like, am I, am I onto something there or is it something totally different? Yeah, I think what we're referencing there is that, uh, you know, it's hard to quantify it or put a number as, as bad as like I would want to as like an engineer, but it's, yeah. some, it's anecdotal evidence that we've heard time and time again, and, and I've heard it, I'm sure Nate's heard it plenty of times of, you know, we go into the job site and, and without even having to say anything, uh, you know, very often our customers are saying, wow, it's, it's, it sounds like it's running better. It sounds like it's running quieter. And, you know, or more quietly if and if it you know was happening one or two times then you know take it with a grain of salt but it's something that i've heard over and over again i've heard myself not that my hearing's the best but it's it it's notable in my experience and it's not all the time you know some systems seem to uh like the refrigerant better other and i, I know that um may be hard to explain but it, it seems to like uh squirrel compressors are better than recip compressors um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's been my experience. Um, you know, that's what I would say is, is bring reference there. Um, you know, I, I didn't write the bullet, but I think that's, what's being referred to. Um, Nate, what do you think? Uh, would, would, would you, uh, say yeah. that? Yeah, no, I think you hit it. Um, I remember doing a conversion with a guy, he come walking around the corner, um, after he went out to the truck for something and, you know, I was, I was tuning it up and, he comes back and he's like, man, that thing just sounds a lot quieter. He's like, are you sure that's charged up all the way? And, you know, we looked at the numbers, superheat subcool and, and everything was looking good. He's like, wow, that's awesome. And, you know, he's like, he, he was telling me that he could tell if a unit is charged properly based on the sound of the compressor. And I'm kind of like, yeah, well, but. You he's, know, got, but he's got the HVAC six cents, man. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, beer can cold, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he, you know, he, he was pretty amazed by it. And, and, you know, I hear it at least every other time, uh, if not, you know, a little more frequent when we're done with the conversion of, 
somebody saying how much quieter it is. Well, I mean, even though that's anecdotal, a lot of a lot of teachings through the years are done through anecdotal um, methods, I think. I mean, there's a lot newer methods now that are more scientific nowadays, but I mean, if you guys wanted to take it a step further, you could put, you could measure the vibration of a compressor really, if you wanted to, and then, and then figure that out. But the anecdotal stuff, like I know if I go onto a roof and I'm looking at something I've always seen and always looked at, I can tell by the sound if it's not running right. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. the, the guy that you were working with, Nate, that knew the compressor was quieter, it's probably because he's been around that machine so much that he knows what it's supposed to sound like. Right. So quieter, yeah, obviously leads to less vibration in my mind, right? Yeah. Less vibration. Friction. Yeah, lot, vibration creates sound. Yeah. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, I, I think things may be a little bit over quantitative at times. I mean, it's, it pains me to say that because I'm such a like, analytical person and I like to see things quantitative um, but there's definitely like an art of especially guys like yourselves in the field all the time and have experience with these things day in and day out that you just can't put a number to it you know there's there's a sense or an intuition or whatever and that's very valuable information uh, regardless of it, it's measurable or not um, and, and I think that's kind of gotten lost along the years to whereas you know 10 20 50 years ago you know kind of almost everything was was done by feel and you know I, I think we have a, a tendency to want to move as far away as that as can but there's pros and cons to both I think you have to have a balance between you know the, the quantitative and the qualitative because uh, both of them is, is just you know valuable incoming information that you're there to assess mm -hmm. I still I still do a ton of stuff through feel and sound and sight and and all that and I've talked about it a million times on my podcast just because I'm forced I'm forced into that just by the way things are so cutthroat and, and hard to price maintenance wise around here. And I don't know if it's like that everywhere in North America or the world, but I find that sometimes you, you have a maintenance contract, you got so much equipment and you have very little time to get through. And it's no fault of the, the, the owner of the company or the service manager, whoever's pricing it, they're trying to stay competitive and keep their techs working. So a lot of times it's like, yeah, learn that building. Um, and then when you're doing your walk around, um, know what things are supposed to feel like, sound like, um, how much heat's coming off the compressor. Like I, I went to a unit in the spring um, and we were running low on time. I just put my hand on a few of them because I know the fans are always running. I put my hands on a few of them. The last one I got to put my hand on it, like something doesn't feel right here. Doesn't, something doesn't sound right. It's just a little bit off. I opened it up and the bearings were just, the bearings were not shot, but they were starting to, to go. And we changed the bearing um, and then it was fine. It was like all the other ones. <laughs> so it was just mm -hmm. like, because there's so many on that roof of the same type, they all kind of sound similar to each other. They do similar things. And I come across one, it's like, that one's a little bit different than those. I got to check into this further. So I have to use my senses all the time mm -hmm. in my line of work. Yep. Right. So, so let me ask you guys this question. And I, I, I know you probably may not have the answer to it, but maybe you do. How many pounds of um tdx 20 has been converted up to this point do you guys have a number on that um honestly i don't really have any idea um you, you can just say lots if you want yeah yeah lot, lots and lots um, a bunch yeah <laughs> you know there's there's lots that we've been involved in directly i would, I would say you know 
a few thousand of us having guys go on sites and doing conversions, um, you know, us being personally involved. And then there's a whole bunch more to where we just sell product to a distributor or to a contractor, whoever, and they just go do what they do. And if they need help, they call us. And uh, so, yeah, it's, I, there's no, I don't think there's any way for us to put a number to it, but yeah. I finally did it. When I received the, the Navac 4CFM battery powered pump, I did say in a post I was gonna make water boil at room temperature in a vacuum. I know it's not a big deal because a lot of people have seen this and done this already. Some people haven't, but it was a big deal to me because I did it with my three boys who are four, seven, and 10. And it was awesome because they helped every step of the way doing this experiment and we had a lot of fun and my wife was happy because we didn't have to run an extension cord across the kitchen onto the center island because it's a battery powered pump. The pump has a half inch, three eighths and quarter inch fitting on it. It's also got an eye bolt attached to it so you can put a rope in and rope it up to the roof if you have to do that. I haven't seen a pump with that eye bolt in it. Very innovative idea from Navac there. Something that I haven't done enough of is use the Testo 465 tachometer in some videos and posts and stuff. I did a, a bunch of them when I first got it. I want to do some more experimenting and more testing with it. Now, in a lot of pharmaceutical sites that I take care of, we have centrifuges. Basically, they spin really fast with samples of whatever inside of them. And that's and there's cooling units inside of those too. So that's why we, we do a maintenance on them. So one of the tasks on the, the maintenance checklist is to check the rotations per minute with a tachometer. So it's good to have for stuff like that for me. And the way it works is basically, if you want to check rotations of, let's say, a motor shaft, you put a piece of foil tape on the shaft and continuously shine the laser, point the laser at the shaft as it spins. And every time that shaft moves around and that laser sees the foil tape, the reflective tape, it records a rotation, right? And it's going so fast, obviously, that that laser's picking it all up and it records in rotations per minute to get the speed of that shaft, which is very, very cool stuff. Now, guys, XOI Technologies, I have some videos that I got sent over from them from techs that use their platform out in the field as examples of, of how they're using it out in the field to show their customers what is wrong with their equipment. Now, the customers, when they see the videos, they're approving POs a lot faster to get things fixed because they're actually seeing what's wrong with the equipment. Now, that's what XOI is all about is taking this content, saving it up, sending it to a customer in a link so we can get things done faster. Now, there is a $500 cash reward and a 30-day free trial for two techs if you're interested. I'm going to leave the link in the podcast notes for you guys. You can click on that and check to see what it's all about. House Call Pro. Guys, if you want to get, if you're a business owner, if you're a service manager, you run a shop, you want to take paper off the desk, House Call Pro helps you with that, with their invoicing, estimating software, dispatching software, take payment straight from the door. For the first month with the landing page I got set up, which is housecallpro.com forward slash HVAC know-it-all, you can get that first month for 19 bucks. Okay. Going back to that experiment I performed, the first experiment was on a... Um, kind of like an airtight plastic container with a lid. So my son drilled a couple of holes in the top and we put some service fittings in, but there was still a gap there. So what I did is I took some smart seal external 
right? Kneaded it around in my hand like some dough. And, and I fastened it around the little holes and openings at the top and on the bottom of the lid. I put nylog on the threads of the lid and tightened it up. And I can't tell you how airtight it was because within about three seconds, the thing started to snap crackle and made a loud pop because we sucked all the air of it and we put it into such a a large vacuum, the thing just imploded onto itself. So I can say, I can say with all confidence that that container was vacuum rated AF with the smart seal and nylog on there. Anyway, guys, fun experiment. Try it at home with your kids if you want. Just do it with a glass jar. We finally use the mason jar. And you guys, have, if you've seen the videos, they're on Facebook and Instagram. I'll get it onto YouTube eventually. Use a mason jar. Um, that's what we used. And just drill the hole in the top and put a service fitting into the top. But it was awesome. Anyway, guys, back to the interview. This segment of the podcast is brought to you by Harago, a trades-only platform helping you find the right job or the right candidate. Harago.com best in trade. I, I think it's very awesome that you guys have this app and um, it's up to about 20,000 units on there now. Is that right? A little bit over. I think a little it's bit over now. Yeah. 21,000. Yeah, 21, so 21, 21,000 units and they've all got manuals and information and stuff like that, that you can access, right? Right. And the 21, we started adding 410 systems. Uh, we got some feedback from some of our uh, accredited contractors and said, you know, it'd be great if you had 410 systems in there as well. Not that we can convert them, but, you know, just having all the information there is super powerful for it. So uh, we, we just started doing that in the last, uh, I don't know, Nate, what month or two, we started adding 410 systems with those manuals. Um, and, 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 you know, it, it won't give you any conversion guidelines because it's not applicable right now, but, um, you know, something we can expand upon in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing I always, you know, tell the techs when I talk to them as well, you know, if they're looking for something that's not in the app, you know, they can call our support line and or call me direct or whatever, and we'll find that info for them while they're still working on whatever they're doing, save them the time of looking for that info, send them over a PDF, and then eventually we'll get that unit into the app. You guys are really geared towards the education side of things, and that's that's why you have the app, which is incredible, and then you have your... 24 seven tech support too, which, which is like unheard of for a refrigerant. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mostly unheard of in the industry in general, but <laughs> yeah, it's something. Yeah. True. Cause if you call tech support after 5 PM, you're not getting a hold of them. So, mm-hmm. so how many, how many technicians do you have ready to, to help like 24 seven? Are you one of them, Nate, or is, are you just in the field? Yeah, no, uh, all of us, all the techs that are, you know, on board with us, uh, we, we all are, are ready to feel the call at any time. We got what? Yeah, I think we're just right around seven techs right now, but we also have, yeah. um, if it doesn't, if none of us can pick it up, then we also have some of our sales guys to field the calls and then they can uh, relay it back to us as we're available. So it's kind of, again, back to the concerted effort of us kind of just all doing what needs to be done to, uh, mm-hmm. to support the customer. Yeah. Okay. So take us through, Nate, if you want to take us through um, conversion, like just kind of the steps of, of what you go through out in the field. Yeah. So typically what we like to do is get out, um, you know, it's not always best case, you know, best case would be to baseline the unit, 
um, to make sure that that thing is running as close to OEM specs as possible. Obviously, you got a compressor down. You can't get in and do that. Um, so then you get your baseline. Um, then you're going to recover your refrigerant using proper recover, uh, recovery techniques. Um, and then you go through your uh, changing out any of your uh, pressure switches that may need to be like some of the larger systems since we run at lower pressures. If you have lower or you have any pressure switches or pressure controls that need to be adjusted for our lower pressures, um, change those out if need be, uh, if they're not adjustable. Um, and change your filter dryer to an HFC compatible filter dryer. Um, check for leaks, pull down to um, 500, below 500 microns, do your decay test. Uh, start off with a 80% charge and dial it in based on subcool or superheat. Nice, nice. So I've seen um, some of the, uh, some of the step, the conversion steps on for some of the units and some of them were asking for airflow readings and stuff too. Is, is that, did I see that right? Or am I just, is that well, a yeah, dream? you want to make sure that you have proper airflow. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of times you get out to jobs and, you know, you may have really dirty coils and, and dirty uh, filters or you may have a damper that's up shut or uh, two fans in a system and only one of them's working. Uh, so you want to make sure that you're, that you have your proper airflow. Because uh, like Jed alluded to earlier, you know, we're using more, more work in the coil, a little more liquid there towards the end. Uh, so if you don't have that proper airflow, you're not going to have that heat transfer to yeah. oil off that last little bit and you're going to start exactly. slugging compressors. Yeah, I, I think what you may have saw is if you go to any particular unit and you click through it, um, once you get to the unit specific information, there's like a green, yellow, red button. Mm -hmm. um, you know, greens like your standard, like Nathan described, like baseline, recover, evacuate, charge, and tune. That's mm -hmm. the green light, you know, just the standard stuff. And that's pretty yep. much all your smaller stuff. Um, and there's a yellow, which may involve like component changes or the pressure switches or some of those things that Nathan also described. And red is like, you know, don't convert this. It's 410 or centrifugal or, you know, wherever the case may be for why that's not a good fit for, uh, you know, for an, a blend. And then if you click on that button, it takes you through uh, kind of the step-by-step -step process of a more broken out granular process of, you know, what baseline looks like. And all that is tied to our best practices, which are also in the app. And I think there is one of the steps that is uh, confirmed proper airflow. And uh, I think we broke that out explicitly because uh, that is certainly a, a good one, a very important one to be, to get right when you're, when you're converting um, the refrigerant, because if your airflow is not right, as Nate said, your heat transfer is not right. Uh, you know, you, it, you can't dial it into the proper superheat subcool. You can risk flood back. Just a lot of bad things are, are, can happen if you don't have proper airflow. Uh, and, and I think you, by getting that right, um, you can get most of the, you can circumvent most of the problems you might have. Yeah. Cool. So as we kind of finish off here, maybe go over some of the, the qualities of TDX 20 that kind of shine and will allow um, the energy. Like I know we touched on them kind of, but if you just want to go over them again, as we kind of close out just some of the, the, the qualities of TDX 20 that are going to kind of make this conversion go well, save money, help the unit perform a little bit better. Right. And 
Yeah, so I think we mostly hit on it, but just to kind of recap. Um, so we have light capacity to R22 um, and uh, more efficient than, than all the other replacements. So with that in mind, when you're selling TDX20 to a customer, uh, you're not selling them a downgrade. You're not saying, I'm going to make this repair and either I'm going to have to charge it for R22 at a higher cost or I'm going to have to charge you something else that is going to degrade the performance of the system. Whereas with TDX20, you can say, um, I'm going to get rid of your R22 because it's going to get more expensive and I also can improve the performance of your equipment and give your system a nice tune-up. So you're selling them value versus a commodity. Um, so I think that's the biggest differentiator of TDX20 than all the ref other refrigerants out there. Uh, that's the biggest one. I'd say the second biggest one is, you know, having the support in the background to where if you run into anything and then you have questions, even refrigerant agnostic, if you have any question at all, you could call our hotline and, uh, you know, we're here to support, support you through that process because, uh, you know, when the time comes, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be returned the favor. Um, so I think those are two things, uh, biggest things to understand for contractors to understand is that you're selling the customer value versus a commodity that's going to degrade the thing they already have. And you're also getting in support of that, you know, all of our resources, um, acknowledge and information, the app, the hotline, um, all at your fingertips as well. And then just to add onto that one last thing is that, you know, you brought up a good point earlier about, you know, POE and hydro, I can't say it right now, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. uh, there you go, Nate. You're much smarter than I am. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, having to change out the oil, you know, a lot of guys just want to look at uh, the price of the refrigerant without consideration of everything they're getting the refrigerant and the fact that the customer wants to pay the price for the better product uh, without, and they're missing the forest for the trees that you don't have to do the POE change. You don't have to worry about the POE, you know, clogging up the filters or clogging up TX fees. You don't have to worry about the man hours to actually have to go through all that stuff. So you're saving all those costs to pay a few extra dollars for, for refrigerant, which in the scheme of your typical project is completely negligible. So I think that is, you know, all in all kind of the, the value of the product. And you're giving your customer an actual return on their investment. I mean, True, yeah. You can't, there's no refrigerant out there that is, you know, going to pay for itself after a couple of years. And you guys also come out to, because I've seen pictures and videos of you guys at like um, shops and stuff, training um, like mass amounts of technicians in one place, right? At one time. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So if, if somebody's interested in having you guys come out and train them and, and do stuff like that, like how do they go about that? So if, uh, if they've got more than technicians, it's kind of general, our general rule. Uh, we'll come out and do that completely complimentary, no cost to them. Okay. Um, so they can reach out to uh, just find us on our website. There's, there's, there's a link there, I think, for contractors only and then uh, interested in group training, something along that lines. Uh, it's pretty easy to find uh, our outline and reach out to us directly and we'll get you set up with a group training. Is it, is it, it's, is it blueonenergy.com? That's correct. www.blueonenergy.com. Blueonenergy.com. Awesome. Okay. So yeah, I think, I think that's it. I think we went through everything and we, we discussed the app, the tech support and um, all the features. And then just, I, I know there's people out there wondering this and I, I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you guys anyway, we charge it as a liquid, just like any other blend, correct? That's that correct. Is correct. Okay. Definitely. 
All right, and that, that's that's very important, right? Yeah, and, and be sure to meter it into the section line. So as, you know, I think we talked about the 80%, you go to the 80% in the liquid line, you start the system up, and as you're fine tuning it, you charge it to the suction line so you don't have to use your recovery machine, but you wanna make sure that you're metering it in and you're not just dumping liquid in the suction line for obvious reasons. Um, hate to have to make that caveat, but uh, it, it's the I've mistakes been made. <laughs> Oh, I've, I've made that mistake a ton of times. I just, I just crank open when back in the day, I just crank open the, the jug and, and fire liquid into the suction line and the whole thing would be sweating. <laughs> be Sorry, sweating. Jumping a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Luckily they were scroll compressors and they could take it. And then you got to stand there and wait till all that uh, liquid boils off and it starts, it starts running properly before you can leave. But yeah, very mm -hmm. important to charge um, as a liquid, but throttle it in just so you're not and, and meter it in and just be careful with it. And so you're not overcharging. Mm -hmm. All right, Nate, Jed, thank you guys very much. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. One quick thing. I got to sure. give a shout out. Um, I talked to a guy up there in Canada today. His name is Adam. Uh, he told me to tell you to keep doing what you're doing. Uh, he listens to you all the time and, and, and loves your, loves your podcast. So awesome. Thanks, Adam. I, pre I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, actually, since we brought up Canada and I'm in Canada, when are we bringing blue on up, up North? I, I think they're very close, Nathan. I, I think you're a little bit closer to that uh, process than I am actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you guys have to have the, uh, refillable cylinders up there. So I know we, oh, we yeah. are definitely looking into that. Um, we do have a, a company that we're working with here in the States that has some uh, locations up there that is very interested in uh, making that happen. So it, it's, it's going to be very soon for sure. Well, I have, I've got a jug about um, 10 feet away from me actually behind me right now. Nice. And, and Danica sent that up and Jed, I, I believe I talked to you uh, last year when, when Mike was supposed to come up and we were supposed to do a conversion, but things got all messed up with the schedules and we couldn't do it, but we're supposed to be getting this done in the spring, which I'm very excited to do. Yeah, us as well. Um, yeah, hopefully we get Mike back out there and, uh, and, uh, get at it. Yep. Yep. I, I can't wait. I've been staring at this jug now for like three, four months. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't cool very good when it's not in the, not in the system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's right. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, thank you very much for your time. And um, we'll do this conversion in the spring and, and, and we'll, we'll get some blue on up here in Canada. Sounds like a plan. Sounds good, man. Thank okay, you. Okay, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, Gary. Have a good one. You too. Take care. So I guess if you listen to the story and if you take things, um, if you read between the lines, you can tell that there's been a lot of due diligence put into the process of of Blue One's R22 replacement refrigerant, TDX20. I mean, it started many, many years ago, right? And now it's advanced to this point and they've gone through R&D and EPA and ASHRAE approvals and everything to get to this point. So, I mean, I think it's fabulous that they're going to get out into, into shops and teach you guys right on site. I think it's fabulous that they fly around the country and help with conversions. I think it's fabulous that they offer 24 seven tech support and have this incredible app. And it's a constant thing in motion. It never ends. It's just, it's education. Now, if you, if you go on the app, there's a bunch of educational tidbits in their toolkit that I've read. Um, 
on crankcase heaters and leak checking. It's not just on the conversions and the, the, the unit manuals. There's other stuff in there that's educational towards the industry as well. So check out the Blue On app, download it. I mean, it's worth having on your phone or your tablet or whatever you carry around. And if you're ever looking for an R22 replacement, if you're ever looking for one, I mean, if your customer's ever looking for one, maybe give Blue On a try. Check it out. Okay, because they've put in the time and the effort to bring it to us. So, I mean, maybe we can give that same time and effort back to testing it and trying it out on our own job sites. Anyway, guys, that's the podcast. I'm out. Happy HVACing.